Hello, and welcome to Midweek in the Word podcast, brought to you by Faith Bible in Lincoln, Nebraska. Every week, we strive to become better readers, hearers, and doers of God's Word. Look for us every Wednesday where you stream your podcasts. Here's our host, Faith Bible's Adult Ministries pastor, Brad Myers. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Midweek in the Word. We want to provide a brief notice of what you'll see over the coming weeks here on the podcast. We're going to be breaking from our Bearing Witness series over the summer and into the fall in order to highlight some of our best past episodes. So as you're listening, you will notice there's a bit of a reference gap. We'll note things that don't quite line up with the timeline. But Lord willing, uh, we'll be back with new content in September. We hope you enjoy these episodes. This week, we're going to move into a new series. What does the Bible say about? And and real quickly here, for fear of scaring off some of our listeners, uh, this is basically a bite-sized approach to systematic theology. There's, there's, a, there's a tendency to think that systematic theology especially is kind of for academics in ivory towers. Um, but let me assure you, it's relevant for all of our lives. And so we're going to attempt to kind of take some bite-sized pieces and help you understand some different areas of theology here on the podcast. Um, so Tom, let's let's try and get off on the right yeah. foot here. Um, can can you define what systematic theology is for our listeners? Well, I, I think in simple terms, the Bible is a narrative redemptive story, but within that sixty six books development, there are major themes that are repeated mm-hmm. and developed. So systematic theology is just basically taking mm-hmm. each of those topics and tracing them through the narrative to ask, how does that thought develop? How does that truth, uh, is it built and explained on? And so it's basically just a topical categorization of major Bible themes. Hmm. And on that idea, that's exactly what we're going to be doing. We're going to be taking 20 different major topics, you know, Jesus and salvation and the church and any number of things, um, and we're going to be asking the same five key questions every week. We're going to ask, what does the Bible teach about this topic, which is exactly what you're speaking to? Uh, Where is that teaching found in Scripture? Is there any disagreement among Orthodox (laughs) believers on this subject? Now, some of them are going to be pretty straightforward. Orthodox believers believe the same thing. Some, there's going to be some area of disagreement. Um, Are there any heresies that the church has established over 2,000 years that we need to be watching for? And lastly, of course, we can't stop with saying, how does this impact our lives? We don't want this to just be an academic exercise. We want it to be a transformative impact on what we believe, what we think, and what we do as well. Um, and, And that systematic approach is a little different than what we were doing last year, and this might be helpful for our listeners as well, as we were reading from the Bible beginning to end in your sermon series, Route 66, that would be more what we call biblical yeah. theology. Yeah. Um, explain that difference here just a little bit for our listeners, why both are important. Well, I, I, I think that we have to, again, understand that the scriptures white, rightly read are an unfolding dramatic explanation of God's redeeming grace. Yeah. So, but as you're reading that, again, you'll start to see repeated themes and concepts. So being able to understand uh, the topic we're talking about today, the Bible, Mm. uh, does the Bible speak about itself? Well, the answer is yes. But at the same time, the narrative of redemption is the message of the Bible. And so learning to read the Bible as one flowing story Mm. with Christ as the central theme is important. But then being able to come back and say, but there are some major issues that uh, must be addressed as by the believers that are unfolded in detail. 
So keeping those two in balance, you can't abandon one system <laughs> for the other. You have to continue to look at both. Mm. Uh, which, which really speaks to kind of the last question I wanted to ask before we jump into our topic here, is why is that systematic approach, taking it topic by topic, so important for us? Well, the Bible is our only reliable life manual. And so just familiarizing ourselves with what it says about the major issues of life, the major, uh, the non-negotiables of life, Mm. uh, we only have one reliable resource and we ought to be familiar with it. There's just a a thousand paperback books on the shelf that we can pull off. And yet God has spoken to all of those issues of life right here in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So learning how to read it topically is really helpful. Mm. Which is in a lot of ways similar to what the church has been doing for hundreds of years as we memorized creeds. A lot of people are familiar with the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. That in a lot of ways is a synthesized version of systematic theology to help us understand what do we believe about various topics. All right. Well, listeners, hopefully we've whet your appetite here a little bit. Um, We're going to get into our first category. Thomas tipped our hand. We're going to be talking about what does the Bible (laughs) say about itself, which seems like the most likely place to start. Uh, I know most systematic theologies start here because we've got to understand what the Bible is before we can believe it to speak to other topics as well. All right. So here we go. We're going to be moving through these five questions, Tom. What does the Bible say about itself? Well, to your disadvantage, you gave me a warning that we were going to talk about it. So I, <laughs> there we I, go. Uh, last, listeners, we have no time limit on this week's podcast, so be prepared. Hold on tight. Yeah, the last two days, I've just been writing notes along the side on a piece of paper. I, I came up with nine specific things, particular. One, the Bible says that it is the Word of God. It says mm-hmm. that it is truth. It says that it is authoritative. It says that it is clear. Mm. It says that it is sufficient. It says that it is powerful. It says that it's effective. It says that it is Christocentric or Christ-focused. Mm. And it also says that it's complete. So mm. those, those were my top nine. I probably should have come up with ten <laughs> or stopped at seven to make it complete. But I came up with nine that just seemed to show up over and over. Very, very good. And and obviously that list is coming up from a number of places. So, oh, you know, yeah. We're always going to be dealing with the fact that we're approaching all of Scripture. There's 66 books here that that is all coming out of. Can you give us some of the high points? Where are some of those themes that you're talking about found in Scripture? Well, I thought it was interesting the, 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 it, that it is the Word of God. In Romans 3, 1, uh, Paul spoke to the Jews and he said, yours were the oracles of God. So, mm. so he, he clearly said that they received God's word to them. Yeah. Truth, I thought it was interesting in Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6, that every word of God <laughs> proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. For authoritative, James chapter 1, verse 22 says, don't just be hearers, but be doers. So there's a there's an obedience mandate. Um, oh, hold, hold on this one second right there. Huh? Um, word of God, I think we get that the, the words are spoken from God. Uh, truth, we get that, yeah. that the word of God is our standard for what is objectively true. Authoritative, that may be a word our listeners may not be familiar with. What does it mean that Scripture is authoritative? Yeah, the, I think the commands of Scripture are not optional. Yeah. Uh, they, 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 what God expects from us as his children, he clearly defines in the yeah. Scripture. And it, the choice is ours. Uh, will we just nod approving of those or will we submit to those? <laughs> yeah, if God and, has spoken, yeah. what is our response? <laughs> but yeah, Jesus, Jesus said he loves me as he obeys my word. Yeah. So it, it's authority 
And uh, because we're anti-authoritarian by nature, yeah. uh, it does challenge us. Mm. I think on the clarity I, I, the, of, of it, I, I thought it was interesting. Deuteronomy 6 says that we should teach our children these things. So, uh, you know, as one of the old timers said, the scriptures are so shallow a two-year-old can wade in them, mm. and they're so deep that a seasoned saint can search them for a lifetime yeah. and never plumb their depths. So uh, they, you don't have to be afraid to read the scriptures. You can understand it. On the other hand, you'll never tap the bottom of all of yeah. it. So, yeah. As far as sufficiency, uh, he says in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that he and his divine grace has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So whatever is necessary for us to be the people God has called us to be, he has provided for us in the word. As far as its power, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce even, to divide in a joint and marrow. As far as its effectiveness, Isaiah 55, 10 uh, just simply says that his word will not return without accomplishing the very thing for which he uh, sent it. Uh, Luke 16 says that the word is so effective, it can actually keep a rich man from going to hell. Mm. Um, Mm. And then I think the Christocentric really... We looked at that last year on on the Route 66. Every sign points to Jesus. But he really highlighted that for the disciples after the resurrection in Luke 24. And he's opened their mind to understand the scriptures because these spoke of him. And then finally, the completion, Revelation 22, Mm. just says, do not add to or subtract from where there's a curse there. So uh, we don't, we're not waiting for additional revelation from God. He's given it to us in 66 books. Our job is to understand mm. what he's already said. Mm. Very good. And, and I know, obviously, this, this, is, this is something that has, over the generations, and it's not new, uh, received criticism. You know, people want to make uh, it, a, it, a, it a book written by humans. They want to yeah. make it a book full of errors. They want to make any number of different things. Um, but within orthodoxy, within what we would call, you know, appropriate understandings of the Christian faith over the course of the last 2,000 years, are, are there any areas that believers disagree on these nine subjects? Well, I, I, I think there's, there's various uh, levels of embracing the authenticity of Scripture, uh, even even amongst Orthodox believers, there's a uh, is, is it the authors that were inspired, and thereby they spoke in their time and culture, mm. and so the, the the scriptures we call them the living word. But by living, we don't mean that they are open to be reinterpreted and and re-explained. Yeah. They, the words themselves were inspired by God, not simply the authors. And right now, I think that, that that's kind of a tension among some evangelicals is mm. that uh, we, we can redefine what the scriptures mean on the basis of when the author spoke, he was living in a different time and culture. Sure. And uh, so I, I, think that, I think it's a current challenge right now to go back and remember the very words itself were the breath of God, therefore they're non-negotiable. Let's figure out how to apply them mm. rather than to reinterpret them. Yeah, trying to figure out what is what is cultural context, yeah. as we spoke about last yeah. year. You know, what is, you know, what is men raising holy hands? What is women yeah. wearing yeah. head coverings? You know, that sort of stuff that we've yeah. had conversations about um, versus the the inerrant word of God. Yeah, and um, you know, I'm having pastored now for forty six years. I I remember sitting at a major seminary, and uh, Dr. John Piper uh, did a a point counterpoint 
with mm. some of the seminary professors and his wife. And their explanation for Paul's view of the role of women in the church was simply that Paul was prejudiced against women, and in the culture, the women were not educated. Therefore, and I, I, Piper just dropped his head. Sort of shake. You know, like I could still uh-huh. have this. You know, forty years later, I have this visual mm-hmm. image of John Piper going. You know, again, there was there was a professor saying that the author was inspired. John Piper was saying the words were inspired, mm-hmm. and that was in a orthodox uh, context. So. Yeah, and, and and that's back up for discussion again. That was very mm. topics. Mm. Very good. Which which kind of which kind of naturally leads us into our fourth question here. So we recognize there is some area, though largely um, orthodoxy has agreed on what is the Bible. What is it that we're dealing with here? Is the Word of God the inerrant Word of God, the sufficient, authoritative Word of God? Um, what what are the heresies out here? What are the areas that over the course of the last 2,000 years the church has recognized are things that are out of bounds on this? Well, I, I think the warning here is, is to listen really carefully. I, I remember going to a funeral uh, in Gothenburg with a pastor friend who was preaching, and he got up and he read from the Gospels, and he said, uh, may this become God's word to you. Today and I, I, I can remember at coffee the next week saying, "What did you mean by that?" And he said, "Well, you believe that the scriptures are God's word. I believe that the Spirit of God will take the scriptures and use them to stir people's hearts, and they become God's mm. word." It was a very subtle statement, mm-hmm. but as a twenty-seven-year-old, it just kind of triggered something. So I think those are the things to say: is it's. Behold, this is the word of God, or as the prophets would say, thus says the Lord, or are we saying, may you hear God's word to you today, it subtly then makes it more subjective and existential than it is absolute truth. So I think those are the concerns um, that, that, that go generation after generation. Mm. And uh, I, I think especially today, the young generation uh, is, is wondering, is is this scripture still relevant? Is it still mm. timely? Uh, I mean, the culture that they're <laughs> living in and the challenges. And, uh, you know, a pastor contacted me this week and said one of the leading members of my team left the church because they said that the church is taking attack on my friends now. And yet mm. all the pastor did was open the scriptures and explain from Psalm 139 what the truth mm. of scripture was. So, yeah, I think that's the heresy that I want... I want a Bible that is flexible, and I want a Jesus that is compassionate, and I don't want a lot of black and white clarity. Mm. And so we have to keep asking ourselves, is, are we willing to embrace the Word as the Word? Mm. Which really, in so many ways, comes back to the original nine things you were talking about. Yeah. You know, if, if it's authoritative, if it's the God's, God's Word, it isn't yeah. open to our criticism. It's not open yeah. to our redefinition. And and we could speak to probably hundreds of translations yeah. over the course of the of the last 2,000 years that have sought to make the yeah. Word of God more palatable because it didn't jive with the culture, which in a lot of ways you're saying is exactly the opposite. The reality is it shouldn't jive with the culture, yeah. but the culture yeah. should yeah. align with what God is saying exactly. rather than us finding a way to yeah, make the Word That's probably the biggest heresy is will we try to impose the culture on the Scripture or let the Scripture speak to the culture, and uh, mm. it, it, even you know, there's uh, a lot of airplay on social media over the last month 
for a young Bible Institute graduate who said that the Syrophoenician woman corrected Jesus and he took the reproof because that he was prejudicial toward her race. Mm-hmm. And it's just like rereading Mark as though Jesus was in air and he finally mm-hmm. admitted it. And you're going, whoa, that's a subtle spin on the centrality of Christ in the word and all. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so. no kidding. Well, there's there's probably one additional thing that we need to talk about here briefly before we talk about how does this impact how we live. And just as you were saying, it struck me because one of the things that we often hear thrown around is we would say we're inerrantists. We we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Yeah. It's in our in, it's in our doctrinal statement as a church. What do we mean by that? Because it's kind of related to the the nine you talked about. But let's speak to that specifically for our yeah, listeners. I, I, yeah, I think this uh, simply that when you read the Scripture, you don't have to read it as a skeptic thinking that it contradicts itself hmm. or that it's inconsistent. That it's inerrant. In other words, God said exactly. He didn't say everything that he could have said, but everything right. he said was absolute truth. Hmm. And so, on the basis of that, we embrace it as trustworthy and reliable, that uh, it is not a number of errors and we have to scope them out. If it's not reliable at any point, it's not reliable at any point. Hmm. And uh, so we have to start out by saying what God meant to say, he said, I embrace that. Now I try to understand how to bring it uh, into my own life in harmony. Hmm. Very good. And obviously a lot of our doctrinal statements will say something to the effect of inerrant in its original manuscripts yeah. with an understanding that our, our translations, while good, yeah. um, aren't necessarily what we're speaking to good, there and suffer from different human yeah. error as yeah. well. All right. Lastly, again, th- this is the Word of God. This is what we stand on. This is going to be the foundation for every other topic we talk about, but we would be uncom- or incomplete if we yeah. weren't to ask the question, how does this impact the way we live our lives, Tom? Well, I, I think Psalm 119 is probably the greatest text on the Scriptures. And there, David asks the question, how will a young man keep his way Mm. clean? By keeping it according to your word. And he goes on later to say, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So, you know, how how does it impact the way we live? We we wander in a dark world that is getting darker, quite honestly, today. So how can I navigate well through that? How can I raise up a generation that will navigate well through that? The scriptures are the light to our path. So I think Mm. it's very practical. What does God expect from me? And how does God want to work in and through me? You learn that by reading the scriptures. Mm. Yeah, I I can't help but think as you're going through that, I can't help but think of James 1, you know, that talks about, um, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he's like. Um, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, but forgets and a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I'm just struck by that picture that the word of God is like a mirror. Um, The problem is the reason we want to rewrite it is because we don't like what it reflects. (laughs) (laughs) It shows us who we really are. And and that's a convicting thing um, that then should have an impact on the way we live our lives. As you know, we we just moved to a different house. And uh, all of a sudden, we've got big mirrors in all of the ah, bathrooms. Yeah. We're like, we walked out and went, I didn't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> the old farmhouse had small mirrors, and we kind of walk away and go, wow, oh, it didn't look that bad. And all of a sudden, got this 70-year-old looking in this mirror going, oh, how can I forget that? Well, the, the scriptures are like that. You mm. see it, and you go, 
oh, I didn't want to see that. Yeah. But the, the beauty of the scriptures, though, is that they also help us correct those things mm. that are revealed, that mm. he reveals it to us so that he can transform us. So it's a transforming power. It's effective word. Amen. Amen. Which is obviously the opportunity to engage with the word, dig into the word. Um, one of the emphasis that we've put on, obviously, with last year in the Route 66 and the reading plans is consistently finding time in the word. At different life seasons, that may be different amounts of the word. Um, but even in small doses, the world ha- word has power to transform our lives. And that's obviously significant for us. Well, listeners, we recognize we've only just scratched the surface on this subject, uh, but let me attempt to just highlight some of what Tom said to keep in mind. Um, what does the Word say about itself? What is the Word of God? What is the Bible that we have um, such a uh, embarrassment of riches that we've got it on our phones, on our tablets, in our homes, uh, probably Bibles covered with dust at some place in our house as well, like they've never had through Christian history. Um, but the Word of God is, or the Bible is the Word of God. It is truth. It is authoritative, it is clear, it is sufficient, it is powerful, effective, Christ-centered, and complete. Keeping those nine things in mind is really critical as you engage with the Word and as you recognize, how does this transform my life rather than how do I change it to fit my life and make me feel a little better about the way I live my life? Recognizing there's a little bit of disagreement on this subject, though largely um, throughout Christian history, the believers have agreed on what it is that we have in the divine revelation of God's word. Any final thoughts or encouragement for our listeners on this subject, Tom? Well, I think twofold. One is there's so many translations out there. Mm, And uh, I think taking time before you purchase a copy of the Bible to understand uh, the driving force behind a lot of new translations are trying to make it more acceptable and are actually mm. compromising truth. That'd be one. Mm. But the other is one of the classic old statements is a Bible that is falling apart belongs mm. to a man whose life is not. Mm. And I just think that a well-worn Bible is evidence that there's a life on track. Thanks for taking time to join us for Midweek in the Word. To hear previous podcast episodes, be sure to follow, like, and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about Faith Bible Church, please visit our website at www.faithbiblelincoln.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Faith Bible Lincoln or tweet us at FBC Lincoln. And now we leave you with these encouraging words from Hebrews 12. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith.